Hello and welcome to the Practical Magic Podcast, a weekly dive into ways in which we can live a calmer, more creative and empowered life on our own terms. I'm Kate Taylor, Creativity and Empowerment Coach, and I'm on a mission to help us live an embodied life full of creative expression through my blended melting pot of goodness I call Practical Magic. Welcome to this week's Practical Magic Podcast. This week, I'm going to bring you something a little bit different. I'm in conversation with the wonderful Sarah King and we're going to be talking about how you empower your finances. So Sarah is head of advice at uh, Australia's leading online investment advisor, Stockpot, and she's driven by a passion to empower women in wealth creation and achieving financial independence and values around money. So we're going to talk a lot today and Sarah's going to bring all her wisdom about how we can get fulfilled in our financial future and what it looks like and sounds like to lead an empowered financial life full of freedom, full of abundance. So welcome to the show, the lovely Sarah King, who is dialing in all the way from Australia today. So it's 9am here, 6pm over with you. I should imagine, well, it's quite sunny here today. I should imagine it's nicer weather with you than it is here in the UK generally. But thank you so much for coming on to the show. It's, um, I've invited you on because obviously I know you, I love you. You're a good friend of mine and you are a woman who works in the financial services industry. And I've always wanted to have somebody on the show talking about how we can empower ourselves around finances. So welcome to the show, Sarah. I wondered if you could just give us a brief introduction to yourself and what you do. Yeah, um, thank you so much, Kate, for that wonderful intro. I'm delighted to be joining you on your Practical Magic podcast. Um, As you know, my name is Sarah King and I am an investment advisor um, for an online investing company in Australia called Stockspot. So it's a little bit of a, a different model to the normal financial planning model in that it's all online and automated and transparent and ethical and, and I absolutely love it. So I basically help all people, women and men, invest their money in a really smart and simple way so that they can lead fulfilled financial futures or, you know, fund the goals that they want to in their future. Um, And on top of that, I am a developmental coach. I've also done um, some neuro-linguistic programming as well. And and in doing that, um, a big part of my work is working with women to help them lead more um, empowered um, personal and financial lives. So there's a really great crossover in what I do um, with Stockspot coming into my coaching and vice versa. That's brilliant. And already from what you're saying is that the company that you're working for it sounds when you say about ethical that it's already changing the relationship we can have around money isn't it because I feel like money in terms of a subject area particularly for women is something that feels something outside of us it feels like something that somebody else's conversation is something we have a lot of fear around it's something that we don't maybe not all of us own so I'm I'm fascinated to learn more from you in this conversation and for the practical magic listeners about how we can really empower ourselves around the relationship we have with money what so how did you start out with working in financial planning and what's your kind of not what's your money story been I guess because we've all got them haven't we 
We certainly do. And look, mine's, mine's not been a perfect scorecard, that's for sure. So I, um, I studied a um, Bachelor of Business at university and majored in finance. Um, but even when I got to the end of that, I was so overwhelmed with, um, you know, there's so many different areas of finance. I actually felt that being a female starting out in that industry, that I wasn't going to be as good as half of the, my male colleagues and was really quite, um, I guess, scared of entering the industry. So I'd, I'd come out of you know, out of uni with this degree, but didn't know where to turn. And um, I'd been working in like a, a gourmet delicatessen for, for nine years. And I really learned then that my skills were relational. Like I, I, I had to deal deal with the general public for so long and um, I knew how to make um, connections with people and I wanted to bring that to, um, you know, to, to where I was going to work next. And thankfully, um, you know, a, a beautiful lady in my life um, uh, introduced me to a financial planner. I didn't even know what a financial planner was um, up until that point. And he um, he offered me a job. We, we met, we connected. Um, I think he saw that I had, a, a you know, the ability to engage with others and a sense of empathy and, and, and compassion and, and that's really important um, in advising. So I, um, I started at Grassroots there in a financial planning firm, like doing a lot of admin. Um, and so after four long years there, you know, I went again and studied a, a, a graduate diploma in financial planning in Australia um, and, and did really, really well and was advising, um, you know, preparing financial plans for people and helping present them and managing relationships. It was it was wonderful. But then I then got a, a bit of a the travel bug came to me and I, I, I moved to London and that's where I had the pleasure of meeting you, Kate. Um, and, you know, I, w- when I went to London, um, it was when the global financial crisis was on. Um, it was the industry being torn apart. So. I ended up doing whatever job I could find along the way. I, I worked in a bunch of different things, but eventually I ended up working at um, Morgan Stanley for the global head of, of real estate there. And boy, oh boy, was that a shock to the system. It was the most alpha male, hierarchical, um, full-on environment I'd, I've ever worked in, but really taught me a lot of resilience and, and a lot of the skills I, I use today. Um, did a bunch of things in between. I moved back to Australia. I actually felt that I'd lost um, a lot of confidence in my ability as a financial planner, being out of the industry for a while. Um, and, and I know that's quite typical for a lot of women who do go travelling and men, I think, who who come back and feel like they've lost um, some of their, their skills if they're not utilising them. So I, I continued on in, um, I guess, admin and events roles for quite a while. Um, However, I ended up, um, you know, really coming to the decision where I had a bit of money and I I wanted to make it work harder for me. I knew how the financial planning industry worked. Um, I'd been reading this amazing book by Sally Crawtech called um, Own It. And and in that she talks about, she's one of the most successful women to ever work on Wall Street. Um, She had quite a tough time, as you could imagine, um, in that alpha male environment. But she started this online investing platform solely for women and once I read about that, it's called Elvis, I was so inspired and I, you know, I was hunting down something like that here in Australia. I was hungry for it and I knew that's where I wanted to work and how I could make a difference with women and money and men with money. Um, and that's how I found Stockspot. And here I am um, now head of advice. What a journey. What a journey. And it's so, 
I just just staying true to your values, which is really beautiful. And it's something around women and money and disenfranchisement of women and money and, and these old stories that we've had around ourselves. And like you say, you know, working in a very male dominated environment, I think that there's so much disempowerment that women feel around money. Like it's, uh, you know, we have these outdated stories running in our minds of money isn't something that I really need to worry about. We may have been brought up with like the family where the guys took care of the money or women maybe weren't empowered around owning their money for, you know, for whatever reason, I think about how I was growing up and my dad was a bank manager. So there you go. Men equals money. My mum was training as a nurse, so she didn't have, I mean, they, they had a quite a, an equal relationship. They were really good around how they shared things out. And so for me, that was quite an empowering thing, but I don't think interestingly even though my dad was a bank manager I don't think I was ever educated in finances either at school or from them so when I went out into the world at the age of 18 16 18 and I found a thing called an overdraft I just went bloody crazy with it and then borrowed more and more money and then I went into my education and it just went horribly wrong so I've got really challenging money stories myself and I think from our education as kids how we see our families um, what our relationship with is with language around it there's so much there isn't there like what do you notice when you're maybe coaching with clients or in your financial capacity when you're talking with people around money what do you notice about the conversations you have that you can hear there's old narratives on play yeah, I mean that's it's 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 very very evident, Kate. I speak with a lot of women, um, you know, through, in conversations at Stockspot, and it's you know it's it's it, they're fearful conversations. It's it's they're so they're so scared about risk, and I think a lot of women have grown up um, listening to men um, talk about the concept of risk, um, or they've not been educated um, that you know they've not been educated by their parents um, with basic financial literacy skills and and this plays out in the way women the conversations they have with themselves I I talk to a lot of women who say I'm I'm really bad at saving or I'm never going to get ahead or oh my gosh I've completely stuffed up I've got so much debt what am I going to do and it's it's this constant narrative quite a negative narrative which is actually very very disempowering um, so in a lot of my coaching conversations with women and when I'm talking to women um, through Stockspot, it's, it's, it's shifting that perception and, and, and trying to equip women with the tools and, and the, the literacy skills um, that they need so that they can start to make positive steps. It's a total reframe. And once women get it and understand the basics, it's amazing how quickly they can become, you know, really good savers, good investors, feel confident and, and empowered that they're taking positive steps towards their financial futures. Yeah, brilliant. And, you know, I'm all into the law of attraction. I'm all into changing our language around being in an abundant mindset, but it does have to come with practical action as well, doesn't it? So what are the some of the things that you might say on a very basic level to start taking that reframe, start making that shift, start doing some practical things in everyday life that's going to get you out of that lack, that fear and taking some positive action? 
Yeah, and I, I think the first thing is is to start with small steps. So if, if you're not even aware of how much you're spending um, versus what you're earning each month, do 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 a budget. Um, there are plenty of you know um, you know apps out there where you can track your spending, and that can help you just get a really positive mindset around. Okay, where am I at, and and what do I need to, to how do I need to start? So I think looking at how much you're spending versus how much you're bringing in. Also, I know that so many of us um, we have credit cards and we tap 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 away. Um, sometimes to the point where. I know that I've been at, at stages where I haven't even wanted to open my credit card statement um, many years ago. And I think it's just, it's getting in a frame of mind where you're tackling those um, tackling those things head on. And, you know, once you know where you stand again, if you've got a bit of credit card debt, you want to get a plan in place to try and pay that down as soon as possible. Um, so it's just not looking at it from a place of fear, but looking at it from a place of what positive action can I take today to try and get on top of that? Um, equally, I think um, some other things that you can start to look at is the difference between when should I be saving and when should I be investing? And understanding the difference of these two things is really, really, really important. Um, I'd say I'd recommend reading um, as much as you can, even if there are female bloggers that you love in the finance space, um, you know, saving is great for short-term goals. So if you've got goals for, say, three months to three years and you've got money sitting in a bank account, that's great. But if you've got goals that are three years or more and you want to get your money working harder for you, you can look at investing that. And investing is really, really easy now. There's so many online options where you just, you know, jump online, you get your portfolio recommendation and you can start really small. Um, but start building those small steps towards, um, you know, future you. I think, you know, we live in a world of instant gratification now that we often forget that there's a future us ahead of us and trying to trying to picture ourselves there in the future and connect with ourselves um, is really, really important. That's, that's something really positive that you can do as well and be excited about how you're going to, you know, um, you know, yeah, plan for future you as well. I think that's a really good point, isn't it? Because I think for so many years, we've thought about how we're going to use money, right? So you think about how you go through the different stages in life, you go through university, you're kind of like, you don't really have any concept of money, especially when you have to think about student loans and the amount of debt that you come out of college with, and then thinking about whether or not you can get on the property ladder, saving the money for that or saving money for those pivotal points, like having, you know, getting married or having kids or whatever it comes next, buying the house. And then it's kind of like that big jump to retirement. But actually, to empower ourselves, I because I, I just have this thing around living life in the now and what you want the next chapter to be, not necessarily jumping from your 30s into your 70s, you know? So it's thinking about the kind of next steps that you want to be doing, how you want to be giving yourself financial freedom and it doesn't have to wait until you're bloody 70 to do that, does it? 
That's exactly right. So as you said, there's there's different stages in life. And obviously our, our goals and our financial goals and desires when we're in our 20s are going to be completely different to, to our 70s. So, you know, when you're in your 20s, it's all about setting setting the good habits, um, setting them as soon as you can, having your budget, you know, the 80-20 rule um, sort of saving 20% of your income and, you know, and, and you know, spending the rest. Um, but you can set up, you know, a little um, portfolio and a savings account um, for different stages in life and just keep topping up within your means. And, and you know, before you know it, you've got that future nest egg for you, just working for you um, in the future. So definitely you can still be working towards future goals that you may not feel connected to now in a, in a way um, that's, that's really easy. It can be automated. I think the more you can automate things and just, you know, um, have money going off into different little accounts and they're ticking away for you in the background, that's really, really empowering. And what that means is that you're not having to worry, um, you know, you're not having to worry every day about, oh, God, that's another year that's gone by, I haven't done anything, um, because that worry causes so much stress and angst in disempowerment along the way and putting in place just a few small steps as early as possible um, can really, you know, set you up for leading a financially independent life and, 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 and yeah, not having to worry about money. Yeah. And that's a really good point. And um, can we just talk a little bit about the difference between saving and investing? Because some people will have heard of the terms. Some people may not be doing either. Some people may be savings because that's that's the thing that they're used to doing. But obviously, you know, since the financial crash, the interest rates have just been pretty, pretty low for a long time around savings. So what's the kind of difference between savings and investments in terms of the benefits that you can get out of both? Like what's what are the main differences? Yeah, so this is a really important one. So saving, um, so we all have a savings account, right? Most of us get them when we're really young, when we're at school and, you know, you put your money into a bank account and you earn at the moment in Australia, I think the highest rate you can get is around 2%. So you're earning that, that, that little bit of interest each year, you pay a fair bit of that in tax. Normally it's sort of tax quite your marginal rate here. I'm not sure what it's like in the UK. But what you know, but where savings is good is if you've got short term goals, and you want to know you have a guaranteed amount of money available to you, if you want to draw on it. So that's for things like that holiday, or, you know, you might have an operation coming up that you need to pay for or a medical expense, or, or a wedding. So you want to know in say, two years time that yep, I've got that $50,000 that I put in today, that's grown by 2%, I can access that and, and know that it hasn't lost any value. So very safe, very secure. We can see why women love term deposits and, and savings accounts because there is that sense of security. Um, women are naturally more risk averse with their money. So the appeal of a savings account um, is 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 100% um, more, it is 100% um, you know, on the agenda for women. I know that I've kept my money in a savings account for probably too long. And this is where investing becomes important. So if you know that you've you've got a, a decent um, sort of rainy day fund set aside, so before you look at investing, you want to make sure you've got some money aside to call on in an emergency. So I'd say that's around three months of your living expenses because you don't want to have to draw down on that out of your investment portfolio. When, you, when you've got that aside as well, 
And you can look at investing. So investing is for goals for, say, three years or more. And what investing does is, um, you know, at Stockspot, we invest money into diversified portfolios. So you can actually take really measured risk, but get your money working harder for you. So by measured risk, I say we're spreading our money around lots of different types of investments. Um, So that could be some shares, some bonds, some gold, some emerging markets. And it's likely that all those things aren't doing the same thing at the same time. So it helps smooth out the ups and downs in your portfolio. So if you're invested in a sensible portfolio and paying low fees, you can grow that money significantly more. Um, An example that I recently did was, let's say you have $50,000 and you put it, you want to lock it away for five years. Um, And if you left that in a savings account, earning you 2% per annum, that would earn you around $5,000 in interest. Whereas if you invested that same 50000 in a, a growth portfolio for five years, earning you 8% per annum, that's going to earn you just over $23,000. So that's it's almost five times the difference. So um, it's, it's really significant. And I think, um, you know, I think there's this perception that investing is risky. And again, I see myself having to reframe that with women that actually leaving your money in a bank account or a, a term deposit for too long is risky because you're really missing out on those valuable returns over the long term. Great. So that's really good advice. And it's about getting braver around owning the fact that you are completely, you know, you, you do have a right to do this, you can do this, and educating yourself around that. What what do you think would be some of the first steps for women to start looking into investment, like how they do that? Because some people may, may not even know, I mean, I don't really know about portfolios and what that means. So there's a lot of getting through some of the language around finances as well, isn't there? Like, how do you, like, what's the first thing that you can do? Yeah, they're really, and just just picking up on the language, I mean, if we look at the history of the the finance industry, it's it's an industry that's been built by men for men. And and, and, I mean, that's my opinion, but I I truly believe it. So a lot of the languaging, it it just doesn't speak to women. You know, there's terms like portfolio construction, bull market, bear market, asset allocation, like it even makes my eyes glaze over. Um, So, you know, I think um, for women, it can be really hard to know where to get started or even know where to go to access information because it just that type of languaging doesn't even jump out at us. Even if we read it on a website, it's just too confusing and too jargon oriented. So, look, I, I if, if you're getting started, I would recommend you know, going to, in Australia, we have um, resources like the Australian Stock Exchange, or even at Stockspot where I work, we we produce so much educational blog content on, on various um, investing topics. And I would recommend finding, you know, do, do a Google search for like a female finance blogger who you like. Um, and, you know, just basically start to educate yourself on basic investing um principles and you know what it's actually not that hard there's only a few key things that you need to know and that's just basically spreading your money across lots of different types of investments anyone that tells you that you have to pick the next hottest stock or you know or know what's on trend or chase the next high performing thing isn't doing you any favors so you want to be spreading your money across lots of different types of investments 
paying low fees and I would recommend going to an online investment advisor. There's a few in the UK. I think Nutmeg is one of them um, that I'd recommend looking out. All you need to do is go to the website, sign up, answer some risk questions. You'll get recommended a portfolio. And then there's a team of experts that helps manage that for you. And you can actually call them and ask all of the questions you want to. And, And when it comes to investing, no question is too silly or too insignificant in my point of view, from my point of view, it's you should feel do your research, do some reading and then contact, um, uh, you know, an online investment advisor or even if it's speaking to someone in your family and ask whatever questions you need to and don't feel that they're ever dumb or insignificant because it is an industry where there is just so much jargon and it doesn't need to be that difficult. Thank you. And using our voice is the most powerful thing that we can do. And that kind of leads me on to thinking and talking about how we can use our voice, how we can get more empowered around money in other areas, not just around finance, investing and financing, but when we're at work or when we're in our relationships and we feel that there's a disparity or that there's something going on that makes us feel disempowered around money for example we know that there's still huge issues in the gender pay gap and there's still things going on how do we start using our voice and and what do we do if we if we suspect we're not getting treated equally maybe at work in um in pay levels for example what, what would you suggest if you were coaching somebody around this what kind of tools would you give them yeah i think you know, not knowing your worth and backing your worth is so, so critical. If you if you fundamentally know that you are doing the same role as a male colleague with the same skills, you know, you have every right to go to your manager or your employer to to let them know that, you know, you are you you have the skills just as much as, as the male colleague. I mean, in, in Australia, women earn um, 23.1 less um, than men on a total remuneration basis. Um, we also see women having to take time out of the workforce to care for children, um, you know, as carers. We often return to work and we don't have that career progression. So it's really, really important that we, when we are at work, we do know our worth. So I would recommend if you're going for that promotion or you know that you're not you're, that you're being underpaid write down everything that you're doing and you know take it to your manager and have a really honest discussion with them and show them where you're adding value and I think that's really 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 important um, often we can turn up at you know performance reviews and be a little bit unprepared or you know just hope to get that pay rise but it, it, it really helps to put a bit of effort in and show where you're adding value um, and and you know to to ask for that that pay increase so I think it's really knowing your worth and not being afraid to have those discussions with with your employer or your manager um so yeah that's my first point and what was the second part of the question Kate um I was talking about yeah how we what do we do if we suspect that we're not getting treated equally yeah, I, I think if you're not getting treated equally, um, it's it's something you can take to your HR department or you could talk to um, your manager um, about it. So obviously every work environment will be different and have different um, processes. But, you know, certainly if, if you know that you're doing the same job as, as, as a male or another female colleague, 
start the dialogue and, and have a conversation. And, and the facts are facts. If you can back it up with facts, then, you know, they, they should come to the party. Yeah, good stuff. And I think what I really noticed, you know, having worked in corporate, having been a manager myself, having been in that position to negotiate salaries, etc., is step into a place of empowerment because so often we feel that we you know we have a conversation with money and somebody says no and then that's it it's it, there's no discussion around it but you can have a discussion around it and there's this thing that happens with women where we we don't feel as much as guys do I mean this is a sweeping generalization it's not every single woman but a lot of women don't feel that they have the value that the, the they're worth is measured in finances but the more we have the conversations around it the more that we say actually no that's not good enough actually that doesn't work for me that I don't get paid as much as the person next to me this isn't right you know the more that we can challenge the system and say this is my value and this is my worth then those are really important conversations to be had even if your voice wavers you know even if it feels uncomfortable We've got to do it. We cannot be silenced around it, can we? No, that's exactly right. And look, Kate, even I've been in those situations where I've, you know, seen myself working so incredibly hard and adding value, particularly from that relational perspective, which often isn't valued financially, which is a lot of women's strength comes through that relational and having the empathy and building relationships with clients and managing teams. And a lot of that, you know, you find particularly, um, you know, in certain industries, it's it's not rewarded financially. So I've certainly found myself just accepting really shitty pay increases and not challenging it to the point now where I had, you know, a review the other week and I, and I did, you know, I stood my ground and, um, you know, and, and negotiated another review in six months time because, you know, I wasn't going to settle for, settle for it anymore, but it's, it's, it's taken some time for me to learn that. But I think, yeah, absolutely. The more you can harness those skills and, and just, talk about it and know your worth um just just go for it yeah brilliant and that that brings on a really good point actually which I wanted to ask you about which is about negotiating because again it's not something that it's something we need to get more literate about something we need to get more confidence about what are some of the key things to remember when you're maybe negotiating for a better salary for maternity provisions or maybe flexible working yeah, I mean, go in prepared. It's really important to, to have a case. If you're going to your manager, they're going to want to see that you have a, a strong case, have your dot points down, like what is it that I want? Why is it? How is this going to benefit the organisation? So go in prepared and show and, and show how it can work both ways. So I think, and then just creating a dialogue with your manager. I mean, if, if you're working in a company that loves you, you know, hopefully they're going to want to look after you. But if we don't talk about it in the first place, um, your managers aren't going to know. So I think the more that, and the more that you can start, you know, or women or even, even men can start to have these conversations, it sets a good pathway for others behind us. Um, so I think just, yeah, going really well prepared, 
show how it will benefit you, show how it will benefit the organisation, back yourself with the value you've added. Even if you think it's an insignificant thing, nothing is insignificant. Jot it down and talk about it. So it could be, you know, yes, I saved that client from leaving or yes, you know, I've bought in this much revenue this week or, yep, you know, I've called 50 other clients this week, you know, whatever it is or, you know, or I'm helping to change our company culture. Like I'm the one that keeps our team together here and without me, you know, you know, whatever it is, nothing's too small. And I've learned to, you know, when it's my review time, I put every detail in and I've I've learned that that's actually um, standing in my favour because, number one, it shows that you genuinely care about your role and and your progression, Um, but it also um, will alert your managers to things that they may not even see that you're doing in the background and it's really important that you bring those things to light. Yeah, and I think what's really great about this conversation that we're having is that the feminine aspects, what women can bring into a workplace or into a relationship or anywhere into a team, is that those things do have a value to them and they have a financial value to a company. You know, there's no surprise that when a woman's running, generally when a woman's a CEO of the company, it's better for the bottom line of that business. You know, we're seeing that across the board. So don't be told that your compassion, your empathy, your relationship building, the way that you manage a team doesn't have a value to the business because it does, doesn't it? It 100% does. Um, you know, I, you know, I want to see more, um, you know, corporations and, 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 you know, universities and government, you know, foster, you know, nurturing these skills in, in women and men. Too, for too long, it's been all about technical skills and, you know, recruiting for the best. And what we're going to see with, with the amount of automation coming into industries now, um, those relational skills are going to become more and more important because we are human beings and we still need that connection we need the conversations we need the empathy so those relational skills are actually going to be so much more sought after so definitely um, they should not be um, you know under rewarded by any means so yeah it's, it's going to be a really interesting shift I think but I definitely can't wait to see governments and corporations you know attracting talent um, based on those amazing relational skills that you generally can't teach people. They're often innate within us. Um, The technical skills you can teach along the way, but those relational skills and having the empathy and being, you know, a good active listener um, and and really, you know, engaging with someone is, is absolutely priceless. It certainly is. I want to talk about what happens with women and money when children come into it if you have children and you you know because what I notice with clients and with friends particularly is they've gone through their 20s they've built up their careers they've got to a a good place around money they're in equal footing with their partner or whoever they've you know had a relationship with before and then kids come along and something really weird happens it kind of we what I'm noticing is that relationships revert back to the 1950s where if you're if you're in a relationship maybe you're in in a marriage and the guy has to go out to work he tends to become the very alpha that you know going out doing all the work and 
then women are at home and they're feeling really disempowered around money, but they're doing all of the work. And then they can't, you, it, you just, there's a, such a lack of confidence in what I'm noticing around women in, you know, that role around motherhood and the change that they've got in terms of their status and who they were and losing themselves and money is such a huge, huge, huge thing. Now, again, Mm. this is maybe a stereotype because all relationships are different and all marriages and partnerships are different. And it's always different when it comes to having kids. But what I'm noticing is again, this different disenfranchisement, this disempowerment for women when they have families. If you've got any comments or thoughts around how we can get more empowered during this life stage? Yeah, look, I think the best thing you can do is is have open dialogue with your partner or your, you know, your lover or, you know, whoever it may be. I think often, um, you know, I think, finances can end up becoming this sort of taboo subject and women may because they're not out physically earning the dollars and they're raising the kids may not feel like they um have they're empowered to have that conversation with their 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 husband or their you know their the significant other and you know I've certainly seen this in my personal experience I mean my my dad left when I was six weeks old and left my mum with my brother and I um and she would literally have to beg for money every month for him and you know and I think and that has really knocked her confidence um you know in other relationships um where she was raising us as children and I think the more that we can just sit down pour a glass of wine have a chat with our you know our hubby or our fiance whatever it is talk about the kids but then talk about talk about finances make it exciting what are our goals where are we heading together you know even if you're a woman in the house you're you're just you're you're bringing just as much to the partnership um as the man out earning the bacon you know so i think um it's it's all about having open channels of communication and and making it fun and enjoyable and not being feared up about um you know that that you feel like you're not bringing um enough to the party and i think that brings me to another point is also doing the inquiry around if, if you, you are in a, a couple with, with children, what does money mean to you as a family? What do you want it to enable you to do as a family? Is it that you you want to be able to go on a holiday every year or that you want to be able to renovate your house or you want to be able to leave a legacy for future generations to come? Really having those deep, meaningful discussions can help you I don't know, like step away from the surface level material, like actual dollar side to to something that's really binds you together as a couple and is really meaningful and going to help you, you know, move forward as a couple and, 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 you know, involve your children as part of that as well. Uh, I think that's a really good point, Sarah, because so often what I'm hearing is that women or, you know, we're we're talking about very heteronormative um, relationships here in particular and women are almost guilty for the fact that they're not able to work in the same way that they used to that they're not bringing the monetary equality into the relationship but like that makes a very good point that you raise there which is you're a family you're in this together 
there are shared goals and there are shared visions and share, the, the sharing around that is really important. So hopefully that can start to bring some ease and like you say, make it more lighthearted. I think there's a really, what I'm, what I'm really noticing as well is I've got some incredible friends who are going out there alone, you know, they're adopting on their own or they're mm. looking to have children on their own. So that brings with it a whole new set of ways of looking at money and your how you get back to work or if you work for yourself, for example, how you manage and negotiate that. And I think, yeah. again, it comes back to that idea of how you put a value on what you do. So regardless of whether you're a single parent, a mum, you know, a workaholic, i.e. me, you know, like what value we are bringing to society to our organizations for me to my clients and really owning that because this has to change doesn't it we've got so many women or whoever it is feeling disempowered around the fact that they have they are a parent but they're still a co-worker they're still part of a team and so there are um again with pay gender challenges that we've got we've we're not supporting people who've got um children in in work as well so how can you what, what would you say some of the things around negotiating for maternity provisions or um how we look at flexible working like what are some of the things that you're noticing yeah well I'm, I'm noticing that you know I mean this really has to um start at a government level like a lot of our governments are just not supporting that yes you know there are there are so many different shapes and forms that a family can come in now whether you're a single mother you know you've got 10 kids you're married whatever um we're not seeing the support from government um certainly in australia around those flexible working practices and and you know i think the more that we can see the government partnering with corporations and industry to really, you know, like allow for flexible working practices. Like I know when I'm at my desk nine to five, I'm often not, you know, working to my optimum. Like so allowing people to work outside of hours, you know, not have the standard nine to five desk time, like and and not make, you know, make people feel guilty about it, not sitting at their desk doing desk time. If if we need to work, let's do it in a way that's progressive and flexible. Um, and, and, and it's all about empowering your your staff. So I know that, you know, it's trusting your workforce and knowing that they're still going to get the job done is so important. And we're not seeing enough of that, um, you know, I guess even with government and and in certain corporations. So I think, you know, again, like if you're if you're trying to negotiate flexible working hours, um, go to your employer and show how you can still provide the same amount of output um, at no matter what time, whatever works for you. So, yeah, I guess that's what I would start with. Yeah, and it's not about working harder, is it? You know, quite often... People will overcompensate if they're not fitting into the, and I'm using finger waves, the normal structure of things. And I really love those words that you, you brought up there about being progressive and being flexible. So it's okay to go into your work scenario or into your relationship or your family or whatever it is and say, how can we be progressive and flexible around making things work? So I can bring my best self and we can meet the, the targets and the goals that you have as a business in a progressive and flexible way 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, and that's the future of work, right? We we need to step away from this traditional model of I'm at my desk nine to five. You know, I think the smarter organisations out there are, are cottoning onto that. I mean, we look at, we do look at indus, uh, countries like Scandinavia where they're all over that and, you know, they've got a happy, healthy workforce. They have the four-day work week. They look after their people. But, you know, in, in cultures like you know, I guess in, in Australia and the UK, um, we're still very much focused around that traditional industry. And this is where it's great to see the emergence of fintech companies and those disruptors where we're changing that traditional model. And, you know, we're seeing more women in the workforce. We're seeing more diverse teams. We're seeing more agile t- um, working methods brought in. And I think, you know, if, if you are um, someone who, who needs flexibility, maybe maybe approach those kinds kinds of organizations where you know they have they're going to have that more um flexible approach and and be open to accommodating you and and you know when you when you're going to work for your employer if you're you know working for someone already you know you are giving them so much value they need you just as much as you need them and that's really important so you know obviously just yeah make sure that you're working somewhere that's the the right fit for you as well and not being shy and changing that if if it's within your means to find somewhere that that fits with you culturally and fits with your lifestyle and fits with your values and 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 what you you know what you want to do each day this is such good advice thank you so much I knew this was going to be a really empowering conversation I do feel really powered up after it now because the practical magic podcast is so much around looking after our whole selves how do you relate self-care and finances together like what what are some of your self-care routines around money some of my self-care routines around money that's a good question um I you know I, I think you know, it's it's really important to to, to save, um, but also when it comes to finances, I think it's really important to not think like it's this big scary thing and you can't have any fun in life. The moment that that's that you have that mindset, you know, we're, we're, we we I've found that I've become um, I guess I've, I procrastinate and I don't do anything. So you know, I think. A really, a, a really good, healthy approach for me is to have some fun, have my play money, still go out for dinners here and there, have a glass of wine, catch up with friends, buy a nice thing, but then also know that I've got my, you know, my my automated sort of savings plan set aside, um, and it's just doing its thing for me. And and yeah, and you know, it's just doing the best you can. I think that that's it, and it just chipping away, um, having a healthy mindset is towards your finances is probably the number one thing for me perfect thank you so much and what are your some of your self-care routines that you do on a daily basis anyway I know you eat really healthily and Uh yoga and stuff like that you know you've got the Australian sunshine as well so what do you do to wind down yeah so because you know my job is quite demanding we have um, thousands of clients so an absolute non-negotiable for me every day is um, I do my own daily practice of yoga Monday to Friday and even if I'm running late um, or yeah or a bit behind I will always take 10 to 15 minutes to just do my own um, yoga flow in the beautiful Sydney Botanical Gardens I have the luxury of walking to work every day which keeps me fit and healthy and you know I can defrag from whatever's gone on um, during the day or you know amp myself up for a day ahead so definitely 
yep, yoga um, and and meditation and just just being out in nature and um, you know whenever things are overwhelming, I just have to get up from my desk. I I take a walk. I get a new perspective, and I often come back and I'm I'm ready to fire again. So for me, it's definitely about movement, being in nature, getting my vitamin D, eating really healthily, and yeah, and just just having fun and, and, and not taking everything too seriously. And that, that helps get me through. <laughs> I like that. And what a perfect way to end it. Thank you so much for joining us today. And yeah, your, your voice, your words, your wisdom has been super helpful for me. So I know it's going to be super helpful for our listeners as well. So thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much, Kate. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Practical Magic podcast this week with myself and Sarah King. I'm going to put the links to Sarah King up on the podcast page, which you'll find at www.katetaylor.co forward slash podcasts. If you've enjoyed the show, do go over and subscribe if you're listening on iTunes and leave us a rate and review. It's really, really helpful to let other people find out about the Practical Magic podcast. I'm going to be back next week and do carry on, do kind of get thinking about what you've listened to in the show. I know I've already thought about some practical applications I can take forward from today and I hope that you can take those forward for yourself. So until next week, take care.